Before we get into Hebrews, um, I don't know if you um, um, know anybody with small children here or have small children of your own here. When we um, had our, our children, we've got two little boys, uh, Levi and Asher, they're six and four. When we had them, when they entered our life, there were things that we knew were going to be added to us. We knew there were going to be fun and adventure coming with having children, raising children, the joy of that in their life. What we didn't fully comprehend is what would be taken from us in that process. One of the biggest things that we found out to a horror that was taken from us was the whole area of sleeping. Apparently that just became something that you just didn't do anymore. In fact, actually restful periods in general just kind of left us as parents and even as the boys grew and they settled down a little bit and they weren't waking so much in the night what would happen is we found that no matter what time you put to them to bed no matter what you did them during the day no matter how far you ran them and boy did we run them you know treat them like dogs just fetch the stick keep going keep running in the park run 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 and we put them to get utterly exhausted they would wake every day about the same time, kind of between 6 and 6.30. And they wouldn't have a slow power-up like your old Windows PC, you know, that you turn on and it sort of goes... No, no, they were up and they were ready to go like the Energizer bunnies. And they came flying into our room in the morning, turn the lights and be like, Mummy, Daddy, let's go! And we'd be like... <laughs> you know, this kind of thing. And, and we found that even during the day, they were just relentlessly going always demanding, always active, always wanting more things. And we'd be like, do you need some of your own time? You know, do you need a little bit of space, maybe just to read or just, you know, chill out? Never. They wanted us, they wanted our attention. And so rest in general kind of has left us as parents. And sleep in general is kind of constrained to us. But the good news for us is we're living for a day. We're living for a day somewhere in the future when they are teenagers. Because we are living for a day that when our two boys are teenagers, that we won't be able to drag them out of bed. And they will go to bed in the evening and they will sleep the peace of angels until probably midday the next day. And we will enjoy that time. And while they sleep, what will we do? We too will sleep. And what we'll do is we'll get up in the morning and maybe we'll sneak downstairs probably by about 10 maybe on a Saturday, and they'll still be fast asleep, and we might make a little bit of breakfast and then come back up, back, back to bed to enjoy breakfast in bed and just have a bit of our time, maybe watch something on the laptop, what you do. Do you really watch that in bed? Yeah, we do. We're one of those couples. Watch a bit and have a bit of time, a better time. But we're looking forward to this day. Now, if you are a parent of a teenager or have had older kids and they got up at 6 o'clock all through their teenage years, don't ever tell me. I don't want to know and I don't care. My boys are going to sleep in when they're teenagers, even if it means locking the door. We're going to do that. But we're looking forward to that day when we can kind of like, yes, that rest that has left us we will, re will return to us. The rest we knew in our early married days before we had kids will come back to us. And what we're going to look at today, there is a link is that rest that is waiting for us in the future. We've been going through the book of Hebrews. We're about to start at chapter 4. A quick recap. We started right at the beginning. We found out that um, the, the, the purpose of the author of the book of Hebrews was to lift up Jesus, to say Jesus is better than everything. And that's how the book of Hebrews started out. Those few short verses at the beginning, Jesus is better than everything. And then he proceeds through the book to make this case for what Jesus is better than. He starts off saying Jesus is better than angels. The Jews who are reading that, Jewish Christians... Become Christians, revered angels, as ones who brought the word of God. He's saying, no, Jesus is so much better than that. Jesus is the word of God. 
He also found out that we, when Mike preached, he talked about Jesus being the founder of our salvation. He's the one everything our hope, our trust is built on. Last week, we looked at that Jesus was better than Moses. Moses, a great servant of God, revered in the faith, led the people out of slavery to Egypt into the promised land. Jesus was better than Moses. Jesus led us out of a slavery to sin into God's promised land. But there was a warning last week. We talked about not falling asleep at the wheel, that image of driving your car and you falling asleep and saying there are warning signs. And there came this very stern warning in uh, Hebrews chapter 3 saying, don't fall asleep at the wheel because that generation that were brought out of the promised land by Moses going to go into the land that God had promised to Abraham way back. Then they said, just with that, he said, actually, they didn't make it. And he quoted the psalm, Psalm 95, saying, actually, because of their disobedience, their hardness of heart, they didn't make it into Canaan, the promised land. And he basically, the warning to us as believers, don't fall asleep at the wheel. Don't harden your heart. Don't be disobedient. And we looked at the fact that God always gives warning signs to us, and there are things we need to take care of, and we need to keep focused and keep going. And out of the back of that warning, there's going to come a great promise of hope for us. So we're going to start reading at the beginning of chapter 4. So we've had that. Let's look at what they say in chapter 4 and what this means for us today. Verse 1. It should appear on the screen behind if you don't have your Bible. So it says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of us should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I saw in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his words were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his words. And again in the passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news fail to enter it because of disobedience, again he points to a certain day. Today, saying through David so long afterwards in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them uh, rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there, seems, uh, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints of marrow, of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Okay, the big idea today. God's eternal rest is reached by faith and available to all. God's eternal rest is reached by faith and available to all. And what the author is talking about is talking about this idea of rest in the future, this rest that is coming, and we're going to look at three things in uh, regards to this rest. We're going to look at the means of rest, the nature of rest, and our attitude towards rest. So the first one, means of rest, first few verses there. It begins, this passage begins with a promise, and that really talks about the promise at the beginning, and the promise is the promise to enter God's divine rest, something that in the future that is available to all. And it says this promise still stands. 
And this is an encouragement for us straight after chapter 3 where he's basically said, don't be disobedient, don't fall by the wayside. A really stern warning that should make us uncomfortable and actually shift and actually really reassess ourselves. He said, no, the promise still stands. There is something coming. And it's evidence of God's grace towards us that he has left it open saying there is something ahead that you can enter. And the promise that I've made to you as my people still stands. There is a promise of my rest and you need to enter it. Then it talks about fear, an unusual one. It's saying fear, fear God, doesn't it? It says that in, um, uh, begin, uh, where does it say that? Yeah, beginning of verse 1, it says, Let us fear, at least any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Fear, in the Bible, when it talks about the fear of the Lord, we saw this in when we looked through the book of Proverbs. What did it say the fear of the Lord was? The beginning of wisdom and knowledge is the knowledge of God so when we talk about fear we're talking about reverent awe of who God is a right understanding of who he is and a right understanding of who we are in relation to him so when it's talking about that fear it says we should have that fear of God we should rightly put it in our pace it's parallel with what we saw in verse uh, chapter um, 3 verse 12 where it talked about taking care be on guard don't be complacent don't fall asleep he said if you have a fear of god you won't be doing that and if your fear of god is active and and kind of living and moving forward you will be taking care you won't get complacent because you're recognizing who god is who god is and if we don't fear the um the, the consequence of that um can be disastrous for us but we're to we're to fear the god so we can enter this rest that he's promised us so he's given us a promise and it gives us the way of entering this rest and it underlines this it mentions it multiple times and it talks about faith it talks about faith it's given us a strong warning don't muck around but they're saying here's the hope here's what you can lean for here's the promise of what's coming and we're to have faith in god and we're to have faith in what he's called us to do and interestingly he contrasts the believers who are listening reading this message with the believe, uh, those who are in the wilderness that he's described, those, the, the generation that came out of Egypt. And he says, just, just as the two of them, just like them, we too have heard the message of hope. We've heard the message. We're like those generation that saw the mighty works of God. For, that, for the wilderness generation, it was they saw it as he came out of Egypt. Plagues. Moses was there. You have the ten plagues of Egypt, parting of the sea, God's presence on Mount Sinai, uh, the coming of the law. The manna in the desert, the quail in the desert, all these miracles God did. He said, you too have been brought out of slavery. You've seen the mighty works of God. It's happened in your own life. You're to see that. You're to trust in that. You're to hold on to that. He uses this phrase, you're united by faith. We're meant to have faith. We're meant to stand together as one another in faith. We're meant to hear the word of God, unite that with faith and believe it. Take it for what it means. Not to just think it's just oh, one among many kind of thoughts and patterns in this life and many kind of worldviews. We're to take God's word as ultimate and, and believe it in faith. The author, interestingly, despite instructing the people, gets himself involved in this. He uses the word we, doesn't he? He says, for we who have believed. It's a corporate thing. It's all of us together. It's not just one person pointing at someone. Those who've believed can enter God's rest. And it's a, it's a challenge to us. It's a, it's a poke to us. that Actually, we're to be men and women of faith who will believe what God has said. Believe there is something in the future. Believe there is a promise ahead of us. And to take God, God at his word and hold on to it. And live for it and say, no, this is what we're going to build our life around. And then as he flows on through the passage, there's a, a larger middle section where he discusses the nature of rest. 
the nature of rest. And he talks about four things, kind of goes through um, of the type of rest God is talking about. This promise. Well, what's the promise? What's the, what's the substances? What, what, what do you promise? What's this rest mean? And he picks out four things. And he starts by going backwards, interestingly. And he talks about God's creation rest. And he goes back to the very beginning. And God created the heavens and earth, it says at the beginning of Genesis. And there were six days of creation. And he created everything, didn't he? If you read it, there was light and dark and sun and moon and day and night. And then he filled it with animals in the sea and in the air and on the land. And then the pinnacle of creation was us. Doesn't that make you laugh? We're the pinnacle of God's creation. But we're made in the image of God. And he, what did he do? He proclaimed it was all good. And then he made us and he said, it's very good. That's amazing. And then what did God do on the seventh day? Rested. His work of creation was complete. And he rested. And as you said, there is, a, there is a rest in God from his creative activity. And he, 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 he rested on the seventh day. That's what the seventh day was all about, rest in God. And if we're thinking about rest, we've got to go back to the beginning. And the point is, rest begins and ends with God. He's the one who created it. He's the one who designed it. He's the one who modeled it for us, that idea of resting. And when he's talking about what's the nature of this rest we're talking about, well, it begins and ends with God, and it goes back to creation. God himself rested after creating the heavens and earth. That was a very busy week for him. Have you had a busy week? God had a busier one. And at the end of it, he rested he rested and he, he, he kind of took that time. And that's something, a model for us there. But then the next thing the author talks about is this rest in the land of Canaan, which we looked at last week, the promised land. If we go back to Genesis chapter 12, God came to a man named Abraham and said, I'm going to make your descendants like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, and I'm going to give you this land that you're currently in. You're currently just a, a traveler, a nomad, a sojourner in this land, but I'm going to give it to your descendants. And we follow this story through, and Abraham's descendants grow and multiply in the nation. We get to the captivity in Egypt, and then we get to Moses coming, and he leads the people out of Egypt. And then they go into the wilderness, and because of their hardness of heart, the whole entire generation dies out, except for two, Joshua and Caleb. But then the new generation is raised up, and they enter the promised land. You read the book of Joshua. I've just finished reading it in my own time. They enter the promised land and they take the promised land and there is a rest for them in the fact that they have taken the land. They've received the promise God has given to them. And there is a rest and the land is described as a, a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a good place. It's a place they can dwell and live in and raise up their children, etc., etc. And it's a, a brilliant place. So that is a rest too. But the hint there actually says... There's, there's something more than that. Because the reality is the Canaan rest was never complete. If you read the story of Joshua and the following books of Judges and beyond into the kingdom, in Samuel, etc., you'll find out they never had a complete rest because there was always still problems in the land. There were still enemies they hadn't driven out that became difficulty to them. There were all these kind of incidents going on. And if we look at Psalm 95, which has already been quoted in chapter 3 and is already quoted again, it was written many hundreds of years after... The entry into Canaan, where they'd established the kingdom, they established the nation of Israel. And in there, it talks about this rest. And the point the author makes is, even though they had rest in Canaan, it wasn't complete, it wasn't total, it wasn't full. There was a greater rest coming. 
There was something better coming. This was merely a, a picture, if you will. Take on that was merely a picture of the rest of something better and greater that was going to come to the people of God. It was, it was a type, it was a symbol. It kind of mirrored God's rest at the beginning, but it wasn't complete and total enough. It was just something temporary. And so then we move on to the third thing. What's the next thing? Salvation rest. Salvation rest, pointing forward. Because by faith, we enter into God's rest. And it begins with our salvation. This celebration that God did at the Sabbath day, that was pictured in Canaan, we can then partake in it as believers. We can become part of that by faith. We can join that as we become Christians. We repent of our sins, put our faith and trust in God. We join in that. And it emphasizes this thing in the passage several times. It talks about today, doesn't it? Today. And what day is today? Well, it's today. It's right now. You can enter it right now. You don't have to wait. You don't have to put it off. It's offered to you today. There's this call of God today. We saw this last time. There's a call of God on your life today to respond to him in faith, to give your life to him, to give it afresh. You might never have done it today. You might be sitting there thinking, I'm not a Christian. It's my first time in charge. Guess what? The word of God is going to you today. If you're a believer here, and you've kind of come again and again. We come every week. We go to church. That's what we do. God is calling you today to put your faith and trust in him afresh right now. And if we look in here, the, um, this chapter, it mentions Joshua, beginning of chapter, uh, verse 8. Joshua's only mentioned twice in the entire New Testament, this time and one time in Acts, when Stephen's talking to the Sanhedrin. Joshua, and the reason Joshua there, he put a little hint in for us, the, um, the author there. What Joshua is the same as what other Greek name? Do you know? Jesus. They're the same name in the Greek. Joshua is Jesus. And he's pointing, Joshua led the people into the Canaan rest. But it wasn't the full rest. Who's going to lead us into our complete rest? <coughs> Jesus. Jesus there. Jesus is calling to you today. He's calling to you today to respond to him in faith. Give yourself to him. And then it points forward to what's the fourth and final rest? Our heavenly rest. That is what is beyond everything. There will be, Canaan was a picture. This is what it was like being in this land, resting in what God had promised and given to us. But there's something bigger and better. It was pointing to a heavenly reality, a future that was coming, our heavenly rest. Canaan was temporary. And if you follow the story through, it's tragic. The fall of the kingdom, the ultimate destruction at the hands of the Babylonians. They finally kind of destroyed uh, Jerusalem and destroyed the kingdom as we know it. And that was, that was the end of it all. That, that ended. But our heavenly rest is one that's not going to end. And it talks about this thing, bringing it full circle to what God um, had said at the beginning with God's creation rest. It says in verse 9, it talks about there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And this is important here. It's talked about rest all through this passage. And when it's talked about rest, the words it's used mean cessation of activity. You stop doing stuff. When you rest, you stop doing things to be able to rest. When it talks about a Sabbath rest, there's a different word used. And the word used there for Sabbath rest is of the word that means celebration and feasting and enjoying things. So you've got this element of stopping something but actually, when it talks about the Sabbath rest, there's an enjoying and a celebrating and having fun with it. And it's saying there is something coming. There is a Sabbath rest available for God's people that is in the future that will be an enjoying, celebrating, laughing, eating, drinking party. One 
um, scholar described it as an internal festive Sabbath celebration. It's going to be an incredible time. And he's pointing, the writer is pointing forward saying, don't lose it. Remember the warning from last time, don't fall asleep at the wheel. Don't go off course. Why? Because here's the promise. There's something coming. There's something coming that is incredible. There is a resting in God that beats everything we've ever seen, everything that was ever written about in this life that we can enter into, an inheritance we have, a future in God, whether that comes at our own death or actually at Christ's return, whichever happens first, but there, it's there. It's right out in front of us, and we are to look forward to it. We are to strive. We are to hold on to it. And verse 11 there begin or start similar to how verse 1 starts. It says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Let us put our full attention, our full focus on what has called, God has called us to. Make every effort to enter that rest. It's kind of a funny sort of dynamic there. Make effort to enter rest. They're saying, have faith, keep going, don't give up, don't look to the left, don't look to the right. Whatever you're facing, keep your eyes, your focus on Jesus and keep going to him into what he's called us to, into the rest that he has available to us. Because he said, if giving into disobedience and hardness of heart will only lead you off and away from all that God has for you. And the final part, the last few verses, it's all been good and encouraging, but it ends with, a, again, a firm word, is our attitude towards rest. This is quite a well-known verse in Hebrews. It's one people like to quote, but it's actually given in the context of warning and promise about rest. And it talks about the Word of God. And it describes it in an incredibly powerful way. It says, the Word of God is living and active. It's not dry, dull text on a page. It's not some old book that we've had. There is something powerful about God's Word when we read it, when we think about it, when it's preached, when it's spoken out into people's life that is living and active. It does stuff. It transforms lives. And it describes it in this really, I think, awesome images, but actually quite scary. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. So imagine a blade, a sword that's got something on each side that can cut which means if it's poked into someone, it pierces straight through. And it doesn't just pierce body, like pierce limbs. It describes it. What does it do? It divides soul and spirit. So it means it gets right inside your inner man. Decides joints and marrow. So that's like right into the bone. And even the thoughts and intentions of our heart. So it gets inside what we're thinking, what we're feeling, It gets inside every single part of who we are, God's Word. It speaks to us. And then, at the end, if you're not feeling like, ooh, that's a bit sharp, it says, and no creature is hidden from its side, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who must give account. And what the point he's making there, he's saying, I've told you about this thing, we've got a warning, We've got this promise of rest, but don't ever think you can hide from God's word. Don't ever think you can hide from God and what he's saying and what he's doing. You cannot get away with this. You cannot kind of shift to the side. You cannot sit on the fence. You can't think, if I go, la, 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 pretend I'm not listening, it will pass me by. It won't. It will come to all of us eventually. 
and it will test us and it will weigh us and it will sort us out and it will often find us wanting unless we have faith in Christ. And we're to treat God's word and what he's saying to us with the utmost seriousness. And even today, it's said today several times in the past, if you are in this room and you are listening to what's happened, you have an obligation to respond to God. Not to me, but to what God is saying in his word to you today. And there is a very stern warning there for us to actually take this seriously. As God is calling you today, as God is poking you right now, if God is putting things on your heart, things on your mind, you know that there's things in your life that he's wanting to sort out, to encourage you in, to move you forward in, to take you away from whatever it is, you have a responsibility to deal with it. Because ultimately, you will be found out. You will be found out. And that is something we are to take seriously. All right. Okay, final thought. The object of our rest. If you're taking notes, write this down. Our rest is in a person, not a place. Our rest is in a person, not a place. True rest can only be found in Jesus. True rest can only be found in him. Jesus is a better rest. That's the point of what he's writing. He said, Jesus is a better Moses. Jesus is better than angels. Jesus is a better rest. Canaan looked good. The land, flowing milk and honey. You could have your own land, your own home, all these kind of things. Jesus is a better rest. And following God, following Christianity is not a system of beliefs. It's not a way we do things. It's not even being part of a group of people. It's about a person. It's about knowing a person. It's about having a relationship with a person. It's where Israel went wrong in the promised land. They, they left God. They went their own way. They forsook him. They, they saw the giver of the gifts and they were more interested in the gifts than the one who gave it, God himself. And they forsook their covenant with him and everything else went wrong from there. And we can fall into that same trap. We can fall into that same trap of actually enjoying the gifts of God rather than the one who's given it. And it's all about Jesus. It's all about coming back to him. It's about putting our focus and our eyes on him. It's why we have the meeting. It's what the purpose of the church meeting is. It's to gather together to put our eyes back on Jesus. We worship him. We sing about him. We teach about him. We respond to what he's saying to us. But it's all about that. It's all about Jesus. When we pray, we come and put our eyes on Jesus. That's how we start. We meet in our small groups, our life groups. It's about getting back and connecting with Jesus. Talking together about how we're doing with that. And then praying and working towards him. It's all about him. Jesus even said it himself. Matthew, uh, I haven't got the reference. I think it's verses 28 to 30, somewhere in Matthew. But Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is his invitation, come to me, come to me, come to me. I went through that verse and typed out all the, um, the personal pronouns, the me, my, and I. There's a lot in there. Jesus is talking explicitly, completely about himself. Come to me. Come to a person. Don't come to a building or a group of people or anything else, any self-help group or a book. Come to me. Find me. Seek me. 
Come to know me. And his invitation, that invitation that he spoke back hundreds of years ago is still available to us today. Jesus is saying to you, come to me. Come to me. He is our perfect rest. He is the one who is calling us. He is the one who is saying, come to me, come to know me. And so I guess my final question for you all here today is, do you know God's rest? Do you know God's rest? If you're not a believer here, if you know that that's not you, you haven't made it, you need to make a decision today. And it's binary, it's one or zero. You make, you make a choice to follow Jesus or you don't, and it's as simple as that. And you cannot hide from it. Even putting off is a no. And you need to make a decision to follow Jesus. And the reality is, the good news of Jesus is here to you today. You can respond. You need to acknowledge who Jesus is, who he said he was. He's God the Son who came to earth, lived a perfect life. He was born of a virgin. He grew up, he was completely sinless throughout his life. He taught some amazing things. He did miracles. He then died on a cross in our place for our sins. He then rose bodily, victorious from the grave and appeared to his followers on numerous, numerous occasions. He then ascended to his Father in heaven where he rules and reigns in glory and splendor. And one day he will return to judge all mankind. As it's said there, the word of God, we have the book here that is the word of God to us, but who is the word of God? Jesus. Jesus. And you have a choice today. Are you going to turn away from your old way of life? Repentance, that means. It's the Bible word. Are you going to choose to follow him? Are you going to seek his forgiveness for the things that you've done that you know are wrong, that offend a holy and righteous God? Are you going to put your faith and trust him? Because there is nowhere to hide from God. It says so here. There is nowhere to hide from God. His word will divide our life, divide our heart. It will expose even the things that we leave left unsaid. Things that go on in our mind. If you are a believer here, are your eyes on Jesus? Is your focus on Jesus? Are you spending time looking towards Jesus? Is the trajectory of your life heading that way or is it heading off? Are you falling asleep at the wheel? It's the warning that came last week and it's, it bears repeating again. Is your eyes on his word? Is something his word, something you are looking to read to, to get into your life, to have him speak to you? It's how we get to know him in times of prayer and just speaking to God. Is that another opportunity? Are you doing those things, church? Because they're not something we just bang on about because, you know, that's, the, that's our job. It's actually there's something important behind it. There's a person who wants to know you. There's a person who wants to be involved in your life, who loves you with an everlasting love. And he wants to talk to you. He wants to get to know you. So I encourage you, if you're not reading it, how about grabbing Hebrews and just study along with us? Preach on it every week. You can read it during the week. You can catch up on some of the sermons. How about getting in there? It's all about Jesus. There's going to be lots of great stuff to learn, lots of stuff to challenge you on. What about practical day-to-day stuff? Are you having a Sabbath rest? We live in a society that's all go, no quit, run, 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 work hard. They want you to work longer, travel further, work remotely so you're always connected with uh, technology. There's no switch off. It's literally work, 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 work. Emails buzzing, WhatsApp, text messages, Facebook. Everything is kind of, kind of connects you with you. Are you taking time off? It's good to honor our work. It's good to work hard. It's good to be faithful, conscientious workers. We push that, but you need to have 
time off. You need to take rest as well. If God took it, I think it's a fair bet you need it. Is that fair? It even says Jesus. Jesus took time off, didn't he? He had to slope off sometimes. He needed space. I need some space. I need to rest. He took his disciples off. Sometimes he took himself off. We need to do both. Yesterday was my day off. I had a great day off. It was pretty busy, but it was wonderful and refreshing just to have a day. I got up in the morning. I went running with a couple of guys from the church because we're just like that. And that was great. Then I took the boys out. It's Melanie's birthday on Wednesday. You're welcome. It's Melanie's birthday on Wednesday. (laughs) Just saying. So I took the boys out and we got mummy some stuff uh, for a birthday. We had to get cards. Shopping with two small boys is an extreme sport. I'm just saying because we were there in the card shop and we got wrapping paper and we got cards and Levi was very determined to me. He said, Daddy, I know what mummy wants for her birthday. We're going to get it for mummy. And I'm like, okay. Thinking, mm-hmm, really? I've ordered something from Fat Face so I know what mummy wants for her birthday. Um, <laughs> you know? And he says, yes, mummy wants a girl kinder egg. I'm like, they make girl kinder eggs? Yes, they make boy kinder eggs and they make girl kinder eggs. We need to get mummy a girl kinder egg. I'm like, fine, we're going to the sweet shop to get mummy a girl kinder egg. But then we'd had some time with the boys and then we went, uh, we went to Matt and Jack's house. We're doing a charity thing and so we ate cake and had fun and chilled out. Then we came and had some time with the family and in the evening we had Ollie and Hannah around for dinner and it was just a wonderful day off, just enjoying people and having fun. And that is a good thing and we need to make sure we're building that into our life, that we actually have times of energy and work and busyness and doing stuff, but also we need to have times of rest. I'm looking forward to the day with teenage boys who sleep in. Yeah. Next thing, how about enjoy our salvation? God saved you. God transformed you. He turned your life around. He made you holy and righteous He made you a saint. He gave you access to the Father so you can come and ask any request anytime. He gave you a spirit who would be with you at all times. He gave you gifts that you can use. He gave you the fruit of the spirit that manifests in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are all amazing things. He gave you the community of the church to be a part of, that you can just do life together with, seek encouragement with, get to know, walk on this journey, spur one another on, pray with, love on each other together, encourage. This is a good thing. Enjoy that and be active saying, God, I thank you for what you've called me into. I thank you for what, my, what, this, what this, this body of believers is. It's absolutely amazing. And it's not just us. Although this is the most awesome church in the world, isn't it? Oh, come on, that was really bad. Oh, man. <laughs> there was a moment there where you could have really kind of got me. As, yeah, but you didn't, did you? This, this is, we'll come back to that another time. I know what the next sermon's going to be about. Um, but enjoy, but we're part of a worldwide fellowship that God is doing all over. Enjoy what God's doing. Enjoy it. Have fun with it. We should be the most... Happy people because of what God has done in our life. And ultimately, what have we got to look forward to? Heaven. It says at the end of Revelation, if you're ever feeling down, go to the end of the book and find out what happens. Revelation, was it 21 and 22? So a new heavens and a new earth come down out of the sky like a bride prepared for a husband. And there'll be no more crying and no more suffering and no more tears. And he says, God said, I will be with my people and they will be with me forever. And all evil and all pain or suffering will be gone. 
and we will dwell with God and we will have eternity to explore the riches of his grace and his mercy and his new creation. It's going to be epic and it's something that we as a people need to be looking forward to. And there will be a rest in the sense of a cessation of activity. All the things you hate doing here, all those jobs, they will cease. But there's also going to be a celebration. A celebration at the marriage supper of the Lamb, of Jesus. Where we get to eat and drink and just enjoy him forever. There's going to be activity in a positive sense. We can get a snippet of that on Friday the 11th at the cheese and wine. (laughs) It'll be something like that, only a lot better. But we'll have that to look forward to. That is awesome. And we should be believers who are living, looking forward to that. Because when we're living, looking forward to that, everything else gets put in perspective. Everything else finds its place. Everything else comes under that overall direction that we're going. The good things and the incredibly tough things we all go through day by day, week by week. I love what we were singing there about (laughs) even when you walk through fire, God's with us. And he's the great I am. And he's sovereign over every single step of our lives, that the direction that we're heading one day will be with him forever. That's awesome, isn't it? Amen. Do you want to stand up? We're going to finish. I'm going to pray. Can the band come back up? Maybe you just want to close your eyes. I'm just going to pray. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that you are a better rest. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that we have that salvation rests in you that is looking forward to an eternal rest that we will have with you forever. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have made a way for us where there was no way. Lord, we thank you that it is not dependent on our goodness on our smarts, on our, our own hard work. It's not. We thank you in you. It is done. Lord, we thank you that when you died on the cross, you said it is finished. It's done, Lord. And we say today, God, we love you. We praise you. We put our eyes again on you. We respond to your word that says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Lord, we want to just receive some of that rest from you today. Holy Spirit of God, we ask you to come and rest on us, your people now, Lord, and just receive that rest, that rest in the midst of life. Sometimes it's even in the midst of storms. You were there in the midst of storms, weren't you? And you spoke, and it stopped. You were right there. You don't leave us, Lord. We thank you for that, God. We thank you. And Lord, we thank you most of all that we have this hope that we're looking forward to. No matter how good this life is, no matter how bad this life can be, we have a future in you. We have a future in you, God. And we say afresh today, God, we put our faith and our trust in you. We recognize who you are, mighty, holy, sovereign God. And we say we choose to follow you today. Because it's today. We've heard your word. It's gone out. We receive that and we respond in faith as your people and say, we will follow you today. Give us grace to follow you today. And as we head into this week, Lord, give us grace. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus.